You can listen on this audio podcast while you read along. You can pause and resume the audio at any time. The world is experiencing a dramatic shift. The population is growing exponentially, and some wonder if we can sustain the population with natural resources, food, housing, clean air and water. The climate is changing, and again, according to some, it is changing in dangerous and life-threatening ways. There are new diseases, some natural and some man-made, and they are killing millions. Societal norms are changing and entire nations are experiencing chaos and uncertainty. There are solutions being offered, but, the one being most aggressively pursued is known as Agenda 21. They claim lofty goals for humankind and the planet, but hiding behind a cloak of secrecy are the insidious origins, history and methods of socialism, communism, and Marxism. This book is written and presented by Michael J. Young, Sr. Bible teacher, evangelist, pastor. Copyright 2021 by Michael J. Young, Sr., all rights reserved, as noted. No part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any way by any means, electronic, mechanical, photocopy or recording, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of the copyright holder except for non-commercial use and not-for-profit, whereupon the user must link to the main page of this website and give Whitestone Fellowship full credits. Unless otherwise noted, all scriptures are taken from the Holy Bible, New American Standard Version 1995. Introduction Political leaders, scientists and theologians are saying we are facing some of the greatest challenges the world has ever seen, and, the solutions they offer, vary widely between the groups. Many, if not most world leaders, have been pursuing a solution they now call the Great Reset. It the recent name, in a long line of names, such as the apostrophe, a world community, one world government and globalism. It is a reordering of world economies, social norms, healthcare systems, food production, global taxation and more, under a global system of control by a one government. This system is run by an elite few, most of whom embrace Marxist idealism. Many scientists still believe they have the answers, but, not just yet. One solution is to establish colonies on other worlds. They admit they cannot do that in practice, but they are flush with theories and ideas, while they spend hundreds of billions of our tax dollars pursuing their goals. Theologians believe the Bible has warned of this new world order. They also believe the Bible offers a view of how we got here, where all of this is going, how it will happen and how it will end. They also offer a solution which is soundly rejected by the other two groups. I invite you to read on, and decide for yourself. Table of Contents Chapter 1, The Greatest Fear Chapter 2, The Greatest Lie Chapter 3, The Great Reset Chapter 4, The Great Squeeze Chapter 5, The Greatest Idea Chapter 6, The Greatest Priority Chapter 7, The Greatest Victory Chapter 8, The Great Assembly Chapter 9, The Greatest Gift Chapter 1, The Greatest Fear It is August, 587 BC Fear is gripping thousands upon thousands of people. Ezekiel 21 1-6, says, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Verse 2, Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem, and speak against the sanctuaries and prophesy against the land of Israel, verse 3, and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword out of its sheath and cut off from you the righteous and the wicked. Verse 4, Because I will cut off from you the righteous and the wicked, therefore my sword will go forth from its sheath against all flesh from south to north. Verse 5, Thus all flesh will know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath. It will not return to its sheath again. Verse 6, As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan in their sight. 
Verse 7, And when they say to you, Why do you groan? You shall say, Because of the news that is coming, and every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it comes and it will happen, declares the Lord God. Debilitating fear. Incapacitating fear. Fear of the unknown. The people of Israel simply hear the news about a coming judgment which is so terrible that the news alone will cause their hearts to fail, their hands will become feeble and their knees will collapse from the fear of what is coming. It is November, 2020 AD and fear is gripping the hearts and minds of millions upon millions of people around the world. A virus which statistics show has a fairly low infection rate and an extremely low mortality rate, is creating fear which rules the hearts and minds of millions and millions of people. The CDC reports, since January 1, 2020, over 11,650,000 cases of COVID-19 in the U.S., with 185.095 new cases, 251,715 deaths with 2,045 new deaths. That equates to a meager 3.5% infection rate of the U.S. population, and a 2.2% death rate of those infected since January 1, 2020. The last seven days the new infection rate is 0.01% a 1% death rate on new functions. Still, the government is promoting and creating a debilitating fear. An incapacitating fear. A fear of the unknown. I have friends, and there are people I know, who are charismatic or word of faith or Pentecostal in their belief system, and for decades these dear folks have bragged, I do not fear anything because my the Lord is my strength and my shield. They deny sickness can affect them. These same folks warn me to never give a negative confession because it will bring on trouble and that we are not a people of fear. I love these folks. I love what they say. I love their strong convictions. Then along comes the coronavirus. Since the coronavirus pandemic started, I can't find many of these same faith folks. It seems most of them are hiding, or as they call it, staying safe at home. I don't immediately recognize many of the ones I can find because they are wearing masks and avoiding others. Many of them even wear masks while driving alone in a car. When I ask them about their behavior, they openly admit they are afraid to death of catching the coronavirus. Dear friends, this recent pandemic is just a test. The real trial is yet to come and you are failing this milder test, badly. But, the real thing is on the horizon. It will be a very real test of your faith. Read and take heed. Jesus has said, in Matthew 24 6-13, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Matthew 24 25-27 says, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men will be fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming at a cloud with power and great glory. Luke 21 25 tells us, But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Dismay among the nations people fainting from fear at the expectation of things coming upon the earth, calling upon the mountains to fall on them and hide them from what is coming. For those days will be a time of terror and tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, until now, and never will be again. 
this time of tribulation leading up to Daniel's 70th week, things will go much differently than ever before, and things will end much differently than ever before. This is the prelude to the end of the age. Nothing like this has ever happened. There have been foreshadowing events, but nothing in the magnitude or terror is what is coming. Nothing like this will ever happen again. You have the promise that if you endure to the end, you will be saved. You may be killed or martyred for your faith and and testimony of Christ, but, you will not perish. Do not fear what the world fears. Isaiah 8 11-12 says, For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say, it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Do not fear what comes upon you. Job lamented this truth for what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Job 3:25. Your greatest fear is to be of God, alone. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And He shall be your fear, and He shall be your dread. Then He shall become a sanctuary. Isaiah 8 13-14. The New American Standard Bible Version says, Fear not or do not be afraid, 107 times. Similarly, the King James Version says fear not or do not be afraid, 103 times. Repetition is for emphasis and God is emphasizing that we have nothing to fear. His plan is perfect, His methods are righteous, His will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Enter the Ark of His Covenant and live. Now, let's go and live like we believe it. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1 8, 9. Chapter 2. The Greatest Lie. What was the greatest lie ever told? Treated fairly, this question could spark an endless debate. That is, if it weren't for this one lie, surely, you shall not die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The greatest of all lies was hidden in plain sight among what was true. Deceiving all who will listen. This is important to know. This greatest of all lies is still having a subtle yet widespread influence because it is still lurking, hiding behind what is true, waiting to infect. Oswald Chambers reminds us that Jesus Christ did not say, go and save souls, the salvation of souls is the supernatural work of God, but he said, go, make disciples of all the nation. Yet you cannot make disciples unless you are a disciple yourself. Oswald Chambers is on the mark. I would like to add. Being a Christian is being a disciple. You cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is a prophetic fulfillment and a supernatural act. You cannot be a Christian and escape the role and calling of a disciple. So, where does this lead? You see, Jesus said go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28:19. Jesus Christ did not say, go and save souls, nor did he say put your major emphasis on a new building program, or get a vision that works, for we all know we'll perish without a good vision, nor did he say to go and train staff members. These all may be good things, but he did not say these or a myriad of other very good things we attach to his command to go, therefore, and make disciples. 
Everything we do as Christians, everything we do in the Church, everything we do in Jesus' name, should culminate in the Great Commission, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls all people unto Himself and tells us to take up our cross on follow Him. He shows us the way. When Jesus was feeding the hungry, He was calling and making disciples. When Jesus was healing the sick, He was calling and making disciples. When Jesus was preaching the Gospel, He was calling and making disciples. When Jesus was teaching the multitudes, He was calling and making disciples. When Jesus was casting out demons, He was calling and making disciples. When Jesus cared for the orphan and the widow, He was calling and making disciples. When Jesus sent His disciples into the world, He told them to make disciples. Disciples follow Jesus. Disciples do what Jesus does. Disciples make other disciples. Disciples feed the hungry. Disciples lay hands on the sick. Disciples preach the gospel. Disciples teach the ways of Jesus. Disciples cast out demons. Disciples care for the orphan and the widow. Disciples make disciples. There have been many who followed Jesus for a time, but when it became apparent that it was not something they could do, they left Him. John's scriptures tell us that many stopped following Him. They were never disciples. They were never Christians. If you and I are disciples of Jesus who call ourselves Christians and we are doing things in addition to what Jesus does, that is good. But, if we are not putting our emphasis on the things Jesus does, we are. And, if we are not making disciples, we are not following Jesus because we are not His disciples and should not call ourselves Christians. The greatest lie ever told? You surely shall not die. But, we all know that is a lie. Being told that you can follow Jesus without doing what He said, is part of that lie. For God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But, then, you will die. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job 13:15. Chapter 3. The Great Reset. Some people will say, greatness is not born, it is made. And, in human terms, that is probably true. But, there is one great exception and we should know about it. It will mean everything to you, even your life and your eternity. I will start with our current year, time and place and work back to this greatest exception. Change is constant and at times, it seems to be without purpose or reason. But, as a Christ-believing Christian, I am here to tell you that God has a plan, and that plan is being played out before our eyes. If you don't know about His plan or where this world is going, it could be eternally fatal for you. So, please read and heed these warnings, and take shelter in the Almighty. The Great Reset is a socialist Marxist agenda to rule the world. The Capitalist, published on June 26, 2020, this is an excerpt. Quietly, while the coronavirus pandemic distracted the world, a group of liberal key global governmental and business leaders met in Switzerland and planned the next coup d'etat to take over the global economy. Many call it the Great Reset. It also means dangerous times for those who support individual liberties and free markets. The World Economic Forum will hold a summit next year to further their initiative. According to them, the Great Reset is a commitment to jointly and urgently build the foundations of our economic and social system for a more fair, sustainable and resilient future. It requires a new social contract centered on human dignity, social justice and where societal progress does not fall behind economic development. What it really is trying to accomplish is using the coronavirus pandemic as a cover. They're aiming for a renewed push for socialist Marxism and climate change initiatives. UN-backed Great Reset to usher a new world order. The New American, the New American. Europe. The UN-backed Great Reset to usher a new world order July 15, 2020, Alex Newman, this is an excerpt. 
get ready for a lot less freedom and prosperity, and a lot more government, at least if the elites get their way. After peddling coronavirus lockdowns that crush the economy and funding riots that terrorize the public under the guise of fighting systemic racism, deep state globalists are stepping in to offer their proposed solution to the crises they themselves unleashed, a great reset to transform the world and everything in it, supposedly for the benefit of the masses, but really for the benefit of the ruling classes. Top leaders of big business, big globalism, and big government worldwide, including royalty and mass-murdering communist tyrants, are jumping on the bandwagon. But even before the scheme is fully outlined and understood, resistance is growing quickly. Every country, from the United States to China, must participate, and every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed, added Schwab, calling for even stronger and more effective government. We must build entirely new foundations for our economic and social systems. And there is no other choice but to submit, he and others declared. In short, what remains of the tattered free market system is set to be tossed out, along with the vibrant middle class it sustained. In its place will rise technocratic governance based on nebulous social and environmental goals set by the technocrats. Introducing the Great Reset, this is world leaders' radical plan to transform the economy Justin Haskins, opinion contributor June 25, 2020. MSN News, this is an excerpt. For decades, progressives have attempted to use climate change to justify liberal policy changes. But their latest attempt, a new proposal called the Great Reset, is the most ambitious and radical plan the world has seen in more than a generation. At a virtual meeting earlier in June hosted by the World Economic Forum, some of the planet's most powerful business leaders, government officials and activists announced a proposal to reset the global economy. Instead of traditional capitalism, the high-profile group said the world should adopt more socialistic policies, such as wealth taxes, additional regulations and massive Green New Deal-like government programs. Every country, from the United States to China, must participate, and every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed, wrote Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, in an article published on World Economic Forum's website. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Although many details about the Great Reset won't be rolled out until the World Economic Forum meets in Davos in January 2021, the general principles of the plan are clear, the world needs massive new government programs and far-reaching policies comparable to those offered by American socialists such as Senator Bernie Sanders, an independent from Vermont, and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Democrat from New York, in their Green New Deal plan. Or, put another way, we need a form of socialism, a word the World Economic Forum has deliberately avoided using, all while calling for countless socialist and progressive plans. Okay? Now you have an idea of what the coronavirus pandemic is really all about from a global perspective, and, now you know what the Great Reset is all about. The question remains is what can we do about it? Understand, the Tower of Babel rebuilt. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. Chapter 4. The Great Squeeze. What do you get when you squeeze an orange? Answer, orange juice. What do you get when you squeeze a lemon? Answer, lemon juice. What do you get when you squeeze a Christian? Answer, whatever is inside them. God has chosen to use the stress of trials in our lives to develop perseverance. We know that because the book of James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. This is the same phraseology as found in 1 Peter, interestingly, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. God uses the stress of trials to prove the quality of our faith which results in praise, glory and honor of Christ, in 1 Peter 1 6. 
says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, verse 7, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God uses distress to purge, purify and refine us and to give us understanding in these last days. Daniel 12 1, says, Now at that time Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Ten many will be purged, purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Jesus has told us these things would occur. Pandemics, anarchy, terrorism, diseases, wars and threats of wars. The First Tribulation Seal, Global Conquest and Political Intrigue. The Second Tribulation Seal, Wars and Rumors of War. The Third Tribulation Seal Famine. The Fourth Tribulation Seal, Death. The Fifth Tribulation Seal, Martyrs, Persecution, Antichrist, Falling Away. We are being squeezed. So, let me ask, what is coming out of you? The stress of these days are part of God's plan, in order to give us perseverance. James 1 2-4. To prepare us as His bride for His return. Revelation 17 9-8. To prove our faith. 1 Peter 1 6-7 to purge, purify and to refine us. Daniel 12:10. To give us insight and understanding. 1 Peter 1 6-8. Take heart, friends, and pray that the fruit of the Spirit will pour out of you and out of each one of us, as we wait for His return. He is coming soon. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. An audio from Truth For Life, Pastor Alistair Begg, God's Faithfulness in Affliction, Part 2. Click on this link for the audio and transcript https colon slash slash fulmedianew.s3.amazonos.com slash podcast slash truth underscore for underscore life november underscore 23 underscore 2020 gods underscore faithfulness underscore underscore affliction underscore part underscore two underscore of underscore two dot mp3 chapter 5 the greatest idea the greatest truth john 3 16 to 21 says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged, he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed but he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. We are entering a new kind of world, a new era. It is something very unfamiliar to most of us. World forces are at work which are changing everything we have known as normal. There is an idea being implemented known as the Great Global Reset. We are being told that nothing will ever be the same again. We are being told that you must submit. Quote by Klaus Martin Schwab, founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. Those globalists and socialists in favor say this great reset will be our world's salvation through the elimination of wars, poverty, disease, and social injustice. It is the same decades-old mantra of socialist dream of utopia. Those who do not agree with the precepts of socialism say we need a different solution. We all agree, however, that we need someone or something to make our world a better and a safer place. I suspect that many people will roll their eyes, derisively, when I say that the answers to all of these world problems, and the problems you and I face, is Jesus and His Word.
Periods of change such as the Renaissance, the Enlightenment Age or the Industrial Revolution, all began with an idea which thoroughly transformed the world. An idea expressed passionately, even fervently, and zealously pursued by committed and capable people, can bring change. Often there is a cost of radical change and the expense is measured in lives and families and fortunes. An idea, repeated often enough and argued affirmatively and often enough, which is born in a crucible of fiery trials, often gives way to amazing global change, whether for good or evil. Then, once the hearts and minds of people are either convinced or enslaved, how they view and interact within the world can be seen in some very unexpected ways. The American Revolution, for example, was an idea born of men and women who mutually pledged their lives, fortunes and their sacred honor to one another. Once this idea was manifest, the destiny of the world was a set and the world has been a different and a better place for over 250 years. That era, now it would seem, is drawing to a close. The advent of Jesus Christ, the greatest idea was born of God, as a child in a manger in the obscure town of Bethlehem in the region of Judea. Emerging from this obscurity was the greatest idea which became known as Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. I am aware that since God is omniscient, He actually doesn't have ideas as we consider them. When God has a thought, oddly enough, it has no beginning as it has always been in existence waiting for its time to be manifest, and then it is eternal. The appearance of the greatest idea, that is Jesus, and the expression of this God-man, changed not only how people thought about the world, but radically changed how they interacted. It has been said that Jesus and His disciples had turned the world upside down, which was an apt description since he expressed and demonstrated ideas which were counterintuitive to the human experience up to that point in time. For example, Matthew 5:21-22 says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Also, Matthew 5:38-43 says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And again, Matthew 5:44 says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus influenced the thoughts and behaviors of the known world by His Word and His deeds of peace among brethren and love for all humankind. His influence should rightly be called the greatest idea, as it brought change on a global scale in ethics, morals, social constructs, national economies, educational systems, and all the disciplines of the age. But, everything temporal is subject to change. And, as time has passed, the world has continued to change in both its thought and behavior, and not always for the good of humankind. Remarkably, it would seem, we are not been evolving as some like to say, but we are simply repeating history. It would seem we are specifically revisiting a bygone era, but with new advanced technologies being applied to some not-so-new ideas. Although the world is changing, Jesus Christ, the greatest idea, has not changed. Christ and His teachings are unchanging. His methods and His purpose are immutable. And, He has not forgotten the world He created by His Word, although the world is forgetting Him. Change is rarely easy and opposing ideas almost always bring some sort of conflict. And, there has always been conflict in the hearts and minds of people when it comes to the idea of good versus evil. And this conflict intensifies as people forget God. 
the standard of what is good and what is evil has been long established, although those who deny God and practice the dark arts of the flesh, would like to argue the point. Some would argue there are degrees or shades of evil. They say that some evil is not necessarily bad or harmful and therefore isn't really evil, but are just examples of human error or mistakes. They go on to say that evil is just a concept and should be defined by each person by their own standard. But, with Jesus, came the greatest idea. He set the standard of good, and that anything less than his standard is evil. It is the mind of Christ which holds the standard of good. It is the mind of Christ which transforms the mind of man and woman and how they think, for good. It is the mind of Christ literally living within us that overcomes the powers of the He rulers, and world forces of darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, that is in the unseen realm from whence comes all things which are seen. There is no doubt that times are changing and the days are growing spiritually darker. Chaos, division and uncertainty reign. It is time, once again, to call on the greatest idea for our salvation. It is time to make the mind of Christ our own mind and set things right. How can I know this will set things right? How can you know this? Look at the evidence. Look at the effects. Look at the history. Make up your own mind. Don't be swayed by doubters second-guessers. Then, by faith, decide for yourself. Decide to believe the greatest idea. Believe Jesus and go after Him. Embrace Him, embrace His greatest idea. Follow Him and you will live. The mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8 6. Finally, you must know that the greatest idea is not just an idea. The greatest idea, took on the form of a man and brought the world the greatest truth ever known. And he, Jesus, proved the greatest truth by going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, forgiving sin, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And, the news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And for that reason, those who practice religion and the dark arts of the flesh, thought they had executed him in an attempt to silence him and to keep the greatest truth hidden. He was crucified on a Roman criminal's cross. He was executed for no other reason than who he is and for what he represented in the minds of his executioners. But, he was on this very mission to bring the greatest hope through the greatest truth, the Gospel of Christ. In an ultimate act of God's power and in defiance of the powers of and world forces of darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, Jesus rose from the dead, walked the earth and as an exclamation, ascended into the heavens in plain view of men. He is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. He has also announced that He will return again, this time in the skies, to gather His elect, and to judge the world for its evil and rebellion. There is new global shift occurring. Everything is changing, everywhere. And, like every other substantial shift or new era in world history, this too, began with an idea. This idea, as it turns out, is not a new idea, but an old idea, one which has been lurking in shadows of the minds of certain people for centuries. In the book of Genesis, we see Satan spreading his lies and planting his ideas of destruction in the minds of God's children. Satan's reformulation of his evil plan has been at work for centuries. A foreshadowing of this ancient idea of evil can be found in the writings of the Bible. It is known as the Tower of Babel. And that sinister tower is being rebuilt using 21st century technologies. And the final conflict has begun. The one who practices sin and evil is the of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3 8. 
and in these verses we see the very purpose for all who call themselves the children of God. Those of us who have made the greatest truth our own and who follow Jesus as the Christ, have a role to play. God has told us, through His Son, that we will continue His works, and we will do even greater works because He has given us the authority to complete His works, and He is now seated at the right hand of power of the Father interceding for us. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. John 12:47. Chapter 6. The Greatest Priority. Most of my adult life, I have been tasked with setting priorities and making and prioritizing choices. I would like to give you three examples and see what you think. Read to the end to see the spiritual application. 1. Business Priorities. In my tent-making life, I was in the business of running an insurance agency, dealing with agents, customers and insurance companies. In order to be efficient and successful, setting priorities was very important. I had to decide who served first, our agents, our companies or our customers. My choice was to always serve the customer first. They were my top priority. How did I decide this? A. Nobody got paid until the customer bought something. And, in order to have a loyal customer, I had to make sure they got the best products, the best service and fair treatment. B. Besides, ethically, it is the right thing because they had put their trust in me, my agents and my business. Then came the question of the customer's wants and needs. Customers and clients would often say I want such and such but my evaluation suggested their need was greater or less than their wants. So, how did I decide what to sell my customer? Ask questions and seek a balance. I had to make sure they could afford the product and get the proper amount of coverage so the benefits could meet their survivor's needs, if required. Our agents were as important as our customers, but I had to place them in second place of priority. How did I decide this? Nobody got paid until our agents sold something but that, notwithstanding, unless the customer bought, the agent could not make that sale. I provided my agents training, good companies and good products and leads to customers so they could sell. There was a shared expense, my money and expertise, the agent's sales abilities and expertise. Then came the question of the agent's needs and wants. Our agent's wants almost always were greater than their needs, especially in the case of lower cost products and higher commissions. So, how did I decide what to give our agents? ask questions and seek a balance. I had to make sure they could sell our products and make enough money to support themselves their families and have money left over, in other words, so they could make a great living. Our companies were very important to our success, our agents' success and or our customers' needs. But, they come in third. How did I decide this? The companies were well-financed, had great leadership and were experts at dealing with risk, money, agents, agencies and the insurance-buying public. Insurance companies know how to take care of themselves. I needed to find companies who would meet our market and marketing demographics, who would partner with us and had great products and great commission structures. Then came the question of the company's needs and wants. I had to decide if the company's products and sales support was sufficient for our agents and our agency to meet the minimum sale quotas and if we could reach levels of sales which would produce bonuses for our agents and our agency. How did I do this? by asking questions and finding a balance between the needs and wants which would require commitment, loyalty and hard work. Our agency and our agents held top spots in production, customer retention and personal incomes for many years. In other words, the holding the right priorities bring great results. The same principles were true as a youth soccer coach. I was a youth soccer coach tasked with coaching and running a soccer team, dealing with parents, players and the soccer organization or school was much like running a business. In order to be efficient and successful, 
Setting priorities was very important. I had to decide a priority of whom to serve first, our players, the players' parents or our organization. As I thought about this, I realized coaching and running a team was similar to running a successful business. Good planning, the right priorities and great results. Our teams consistently place in the top echelon of our programs and leagues. The church and church priorities. Many churches have adopted working business models over the last 25 years. And, my experience is that far too many churches and church leaders have modeled their priorities similar to that of a business. I have been in the position as an associate pastor in a small to medium-sized church as well as as running a small ministry, dealing with Christians and visitors, staff members and the corporate political organizational church. In order to be efficient and successful, setting priorities was very important. I had to decide who to serve first, the church staff, the members and visitors or God's Word. My first choice is to always serve God and His Word. God and His Word are always top priority. This is not a difficult decision. How did I decide this? The Bible instructs us to serve God first and only. Leviticus 18:4 says, You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live in accord with them, I am the Lord your God. Verse 5. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them, I am the Lord. Matthew 4 8 says, For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and serve Him only. The Bible instructs us that the Bible is a lamp unto our feet, is without any error and is dependable. Psalms 119-105, tells us, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Understanding what the Bible says and what the Bible requires, makes prioritizing clear. Joshua 1 8, says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. By being faithful in my service to God. Psalms 119-106, says, I have sworn, and I will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. Matthew 25-21 says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things, enter into the joy of your master. Then comes the question of wants and needs. There really is no question here. I may have some preferential wants and supposed needs, but what God wants and needs, requires, of me is all that matters if I want to please Him and if I want success. Joshua 1 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The Christians, that is, the church's priority, between worldly needs and wants and personal needs and wants, is always present. In the postmodern world, the church has become a consumer-oriented. You can shop for the church of your choice, meeting your specific needs. So, how do you balance a Christian's needs and wants versus God's Word and His model for His church? How do I decide this? There is only one choice. It's all about God. His Word is perfect, and Jesus has already demonstrated the model. We follow Him in His ways, so, I need to be a good and faithful servant to God, His ways, His methods and His plans. So, the second priority is to God and His Word. Why? Because God always has His priorities right. His priorities must be my priorities. Priority of the Organizational Church There are duties and tasks in the ministry of organizing the body politic of the Church. But, that is only for human convenience and efficiency. God's Word directs us on our service to the organization structure. How do I determine this? The third priority in ministry is the same as the first priority and the second priority, God and His Word is always the priority. 
God has already set all our priorities in order, whether in business, church, worship, sports, marriage, child-rearing, social constructs, politics, matters of health, education, etc. Priorities in ministry to God, His church and the organizational church begin and end with God alone as priority. Then, He tells us. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Fide, Faith alone. Sola Gratia, Grace alone. Solo Christo, Christ alone. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone go questions.org on the five solas. What have we learned? Number 1. God has set the standard and the priority and given us the model, which is Jesus. Anything less is evil. Yes, I've said it, anything less is evil. Number 2. Ministry to God and His Church cannot be compromised and must not be run as a business model because that just will not reach His desired results of making disciples who, in turn, make disciples for His service and His glory. Number 3. Any deviation, any compromise is an apparent departure from God's perfect ways, His perfect will, His perfect method, and His perfect plan. So, if you are ever in doubt, just don't. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. Click this link to knowing and doing God's will. Chapter 7. The Greatest Victory. Jesus tells the Church, that until the breaking of the Sixth Tribulation Seal, they must overcome. The term, overcomes, is used seven times in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Revelation 2 7, 11, 17, 26, Revelation 3 5, 12, 21. Note, the churches referred to by Jesus are the followers of Christ, you and me. Do and be. The following are the verses from Revelation which tells us, the church, what we are to do and to be while we wait for His return. This is what we are to do with what we know and in preparation for His return. Number 1. The verse, Revelation 2 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To him who overcomes, Jesus made these promises, but what, does this overcomer, overcome? overcome, we usually think of overcoming in dramatic terms of overcoming sin and in spiritual warfare, but here Jesus is speaking of overcoming coldness of heart and lack of love, marked by leaving their first love of Jesus. The promise, I will give to eat from the tree of life, the promise for these overcomers was a return to Eden, a restoration to God's presence, and eternal life. This was meant, first, in the eternal sense of making it to heaven, which was no small promise to a people threatened with the removal of Jesus' presence. It is also meant in the sense of seeing the effects of the curse cancelled in our own lives though Jesus' redeeming act of love. Diamond, 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 diamond. Number 2. The verse, Revelation 2:11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Overcome, he who overcomes, those who overcome the threat of persecution, and the presence of persecution. We might say that we overcome by our close association with Jesus, but, it is that very association that brings both persecution and salvation. Jesus is the ultimate overcomer, as He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The promise, shall not be hurt by the second death, those who overcome by the power and presence of Jesus within them, will never be hurt by the second death. The second death is hell, the lake of fire, Revelation 20:14 and 21-8. Though Satan will threaten and attack your life, Jesus promises his overcomers that death is conquered for them. Diamond, 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 diamond. Number 3. The verse, Revelation 2 17, says, He who has an ear, 
let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Overcomes, to him who overcomes, the one who overcomes this spirit of accommodation to false teaching and living will receive hidden manna. This is God's perfect provision, the true bread from heaven, John 6:35. The promise, and I will give him a white stone, in the ancient world, the use of a white stone had many associations. A white stone could be a ticket to a banquet, a sign of friendship, evidence of having been counted, or as a sign of acquittal in a court of law. Jesus may have any one of these meanings in mind, but at the very least we know that it has the assurance of blessing. Diamond, 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 diamond. Number 4. The verse, Revelation 2 26-29, says, He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Overcomes, he who overcomes, and keeps my works until the end, even when there is the immoral and idolatrous influence of a Jezebel, Christians can overcome and keep Jesus' works until the end. We must not become overly discouraged at immorality and idolatry around us, even among Christians. God's work will still go on through His overcomers. The promise, to Him, I will give power over the nations, Jesus promised that His people will reign with Him. Here, there is a special promise to those who overcome the threat of immorality and idolatry. To them, Jesus offered a share in His own kingdom. The word for rule, gr. Poimenai, means literally to shepherd. Their rule will not be simply that of executing judgment, but also that of administering mercy and direction. Jesus offered them a reward greater than the kingdom. He offered them the reward of Himself, because He is the morning star, Revelation 22:28. Diamond, 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 diamond. Number 5. The verse, Revelation 3 5, says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase His name from the book of life, and I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. Overcomes, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, Jesus identified the overcomers with those few names who have not defiled their garments, Revelation 3-4. These overcomers would wear white garments, received from Jesus. The promises, Jesus explained the absolute necessity of this being clothed by God with His garments of purity and righteousness in His parable of the wedding feast, Matthew 22-11-14. Real righteousness is receiving God's covering instead of trying to cover ourselves. Adam and Eve tried to cover their own sin, Genesis 3-7, but God provided them with a covering that came from sacrifice, Genesis 3:21. I will not blot out His name from the book of life, by this, the overcomers were assured of their heavenly citizenship. In the ancient world, death or a criminal conviction could blot out the name of an ancient citizen from the city's book of the living, which was the city register. But I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels, this was an amazing promise. It simply makes sense that we should be willing to confess the name of Jesus, but it is amazing that he would not be ashamed to confess us. Diamond, 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 diamond. Number 6. The verse, Revelation 3:12 says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Overcomes, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. The promise, overcomers were told that they would be as a pillar in the temple of my God. Pillars were pictures of strength, stability, and dignified beauty. 
he shall go out no more. The overcomer would have a place of permanence and stability with God, in contrast to an uncertain place in this world. I will write on him the name of my God. I will write on him my new name, the overcomer also received many names, of God, the new Jerusalem, and the new name of Jesus. These names are marks of identification because they show who we belong to. They are marks of intimacy, because they show we are privileged to know Him in ways others are not. Number 7. The verse, Revelation 3:21 says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Overcomes, to him who overcomes, Jesus promised to the overcomer, even at Laodicea, show that we don't have to be Christians who are compromising and lukewarm. If we are, we can change and become one of Jesus' overcomers. The promise, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, those who overcome the battle against indifference, compromise, and self-reliance, receive a special reward. They enjoy a place with the enthroned Jesus, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Diamond, 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 Diamond. Number 8. The verse, Revelation 21 5, says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Verse 6, Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Overcomes, Jesus is telling you and me, his followers, that we must endure to the end. The promise, we shall overcome and we have the victory. Jesus tells us that can know the seasons, so now we know where are we in his time. Diamond, 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 diamond. Peter validates, in Acts 2:14-21, that the beginning of birth pangs, that is the breaking of the tribulation seals 1 began in AD 1 and the successive breaking of seals 2 through 5 have been ongoing to this day. We are now seeing the breaking of the fifth tribulation seal and the church must endure to its completion. With the coming day of the breaking of the sixth seal we will see Jesus return in the sky and gather His elect from the four corners of the earth. God will seal the 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. The church raptured and all believers will be standing at the throne of God, clothed in the white robes. God's succeeding judgments poured out on earth. Jesus and His armies defeat Satan. Jesus is telling you and me, His followers, that we must endure to the end, we must overcome. We are now in those days. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. Chapter 8. The Great Assembly. Behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. Revelation 7 9. So, where will this new world order ultimately lead? According to the Bible, there are two destinations. One, is where there is darkness and gnashing of teeth, and a lake of eternal fire. The other is in the presence of God, in a new heavens and on a new earth. Those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life will be spared God's wrath, and it will be quite a crowd. Imagine. A number of people so large that no one could count. The Population Reference Bureau Washington D.C. 20009, estimates that 108,760,543,790, that's billions, people have lived on earth. Actually, that number is extrapolated with some very sophisticated formula. Now imagine this, Matthew 7 13-14, tells us to enter through the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Those who do not enter through the narrow gate, do not go to heaven, but will perish in the lake of fire, which is hell. Question number one. So, which is it? A great multitude before the throne of heaven so large no one could count them? Or a narrow gate to eternal life and few find it? The Pew Research Center's Forum on Religion and Public Life published a new comprehensive demographic report on the size and distribution of the world's Christian population. The study finds that there are 2.18 billion Christians of all ages in more than 200 countries around the world. That would mean that only about 2% of the world's entire humanity found the narrow gate. Small, indeed, when compared to the entire population of the earth throughout all time. But, still, 2 billion 18 million is a lot of people. So, I guess the answer is both. Question number 2. So, where did approximately 2 billion people come from who were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands? Revelation 7 9. Revelation 7, 14 says my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If that number, that multitude came from the great tribulation period alone, that is during the final seven years, which is also known as Daniel's 70th week, the number would not be so large. But, if it comes from the beginning of time, when your faith was counted to you as righteousness, the number could be staggering. 1 Thessalonians 4:15-17 tells us, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Question number 3. Will you be counted in the number of the great multitude standing before the throne of the Lamb? By all accounts, we are witnessing the breaking of the fifth seal of the tribulation. The return of Christ and the breaking of the sixth seal marking the beginning of the great tribulation, the great and terrible day of the Lord, could occur soon, that is, at any moment. This is the Christian's destiny. This is the Christ's promise and our hope. Having been washed clean of all regret and sin by the sacrificial blood of Jesus, spending our eternity with Him in heaven. But, time is short, and, the exact date is not known. Come to Jesus, now. Do not delay. It's the best decision you could ever make. Surrender your life to Christ Jesus, now. Question number 4. What's stopping you? Nothing to lose except sin, misery, aimlessness, and outer darkness where there will be an wailing gnashing of teeth, and everything to gain. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. I came that you might have life, and life more abundant, Jesus, John 10 10. Chapter 9. The Greatest Gift. Psalms 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil, he will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. The promise of God is to love, protect and provide. He sent His Son to show us His love, His protection and His provision. Click here, or on the image below, for the greatest gift. This changes everything. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. 
This book is published by Michael Young, Sr. I am a practicing Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a husband of over 54 years, a father and a grandfather, a businessman, a veteran and a friend to all who will have me. I have served or am serving, at various times, as an evangelist, a pulpit fill pastor, an associate pastor of evangelism and a senior pastor of a church plant. My passion is for practicing and teaching the Bible, building small groups, reaching the lost with the message of the gospel of Jesus, recovering the straying sheep of God and the gathering together the called of God, in neighborhoods, business settings and in churches by equipping other Christians. I have authored a few small books and I have a background in professional business management, finance and investments. I am glad to meet you, even if it is virtually. Write me at any time and let's become friends. Click here to view all article and posts on WordPress, by Michael Young, Sr. Click to access greatest1.pdf.